Hi, everyone. This is Christy Wolf. I'm a partner in Kelly Dry's Advertising Practice Group and wanted to spend a few minutes today talking about health claims. Um, in the current environment, of course, everyone is concerned about health. And as consumers are concerned about health, so are companies that sell health products um, and so are regulators. And I thought it was worthwhile to take a few minutes to talk a little bit about the basics of health claims or sort of a health claims 101. Um, with a focus on two particular issues, the first one being substantiation and the second one being context. Um, so let's, let's just kind of start from the beginning. You know, when we think about a health claim, the first question that I will always look to is what kind of product am I dealing with, right? Is it specifically uh, an FDA regulated product or perhaps an EPA regulated product? Um, so FDA, of course, governs foods, drugs, dietary supplements, cosmetics, and what have you. And the, the kind of single rule that I'll give you to live by is of those products, um, there are really only two kinds that can make claims or feature claims that the product can help you um, diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent a disease, right? And those can either be a drug, um, an over-the-counter drug, or a prescription drug, um, or it could be a medical device of some sort, um, but the others can't. So a supplement uh, is not allowed to feature a claim that it can take you from a diseased state or a sick state to a healthy state, um, absent FDA approval. And there are very, very few claims that are, have that level of approval. And the same is true for foods, right? Um, and if you pay attention to FDA regulation, you'll know that a lot of the warning letters that are issued relative to foods and uh, dietary supplements and cosmetic products um, relate to claims that the agency felt crossed that line uh, from, from taking a person to a, from a disease state into a healthy state. And so in their language, they say, you're selling an unapproved new drug. To bring this back to our current context, um, you know, a lot of the warning letters that FDA has sent out relative to coronavirus claims have said, hey, we see you're selling a, a, a product that features claims that it can cure or prevent coronavirus. Um, and we, oh, by the way, haven't approved it. Um, and so you're selling an unapproved new drug and you need to, uh, you need to stop doing that and tell us that you've, you've done that within the, the next 15 days. Um, that's, that's kind of the things to know about health claims in a very, very small uh, nutshell. Um, and if you if you heard my children there in the background yelling, it's only because they are just in violent agreement with everything I'm saying right now. Anyway, um, other kinds of health claims are things that may appear on EPA regulated products. So disinfectants and um, sterilizers and pesticides and stuff like this. And um, that gets out of my area of expertise and, and is hopefully the subject of a future um, podcast, uh, but, it, but it is squarely within the jurisdiction of the EPA, uh, unless we're talking about a medical product um, and whether or not you are allowed to call yourself a disinfectant and have been proven to have disinfectant uh, properties under the what's called FIFRA, the federal um, law that governs those kinds of products. So first question is, well, what kind of product am I dealing with, right? Um, and what claims are allowed for that kind of product? That's the first step in the analysis. 
Um, setting that aside, uh, the other the other um, piece that I wanted to focus on here is, okay, I've got a product. I, I know what kind of product it is. Um, and I want to say some things about it so I can sell it. And how do I do that for advertising purposes, for advertising compliance? And this is where we get into substantiation and context. Um, substantiation, of course, being the, the basis for why you think you can make claims about the product, right? Um, the legal requirement is that before you make a claim about a product uh, or service, uh, you have to have that substantiation already gathered up, right? You can't just assume something is true, put the claim out there and say, well, we're pretty sure it's true. And if someone calls us on it, we'll get our ducks in a row and, and check on it. That's not how it works. Um, there's, there's what's called the doctrine of prior substantiation. You're supposed to have it before you make the claim. And with respect to health claims, the bar is fairly high um, as far as what kind of substantiation you need. The legal term is called competent, or competent and reliable scientific evidence. And if you go to the website for the FTC, ftc.gov, you can, you can easily find the legal definition for it. But the way that I like to think of it and, and sort of translate it when I'm working with clients is that it is evidence that is sufficient in terms of the quality and the quantity um, such that experts in the field would say it's enough to substantiate that claim, right? It's robust evidence. Sometimes that's a clinical study. Sometimes it's product testing. Sometimes it's, it's user testing. Um, it really depends on what kind of claim you're looking at. Um, and it's well-controlled. And in many instances, it's repeatable, right? If, if that study or a similar study is done over and over and over, you see that the result is repeated each time. And, and in many instances, you know, if you look at a large body of science, you'll find that not every study is uh, entirely consistent in terms of the results achieved. Uh, but what you want when you look at the full body of evidence is for there to be enough that an expert in that field would say, you know what, there, it's, it's maybe not entirely consistent, but we have enough reason to believe this is true. This is correct, right? It's enough to substantiate that claim. And again, it's a fairly high bar. Um, and this is why when you look at the uh, warning letters that the FTC has issued relative to coronavirus, um, and they've issued a few different batches of them. If you check our, our podcast, or excuse me, our um, our blog, Ad Law Access, we've chronicled some of them um, with respect to coronavirus in particular. And most recently, they issued a batch of 50 warning letters to a lot of different kinds of companies, uh, supplements, herbal treatments, acupuncture, homeopathics, nebulizers, ozone therapies, um, and pulsed elect electromagnetic field therapies and similar kinds of products. Uh, incidentally, to companies literally all over the country, um, looks pretty thorough in, in geographic scope, um, and also clearly trying to, to get a lot of different kinds of industries with respect to this particular um, enforcement sweep. One thing that all of these letters have in common, though, is they say, you know, hey, health, health claims have to be supported by competent and reliable scientific evidence, and you, recipient are making claims that your product can prevent or cure coronavirus. 
And there are no known prevention or cure um, treatments out there um, because it's so new um, and, and we just haven't had time to study it. And, and so, you know, essentially what they're saying is these claims are false and you need to take them down. Um, that's a unique scenario in the sense that we're dealing with a new, um, a new illness, but the rationale holds for other kinds of health claims as well. They're held to a high standard, the competent, reliable scientific evidence standard. You need to be able to meet that before you make the claim. Um, and if, if you should get a letter like that from the FTC, they're going to want to see, well, what are you supporting this with? And you want it to be something that is robust and that would stand up to expert scrutiny. One kind of evidence that never stands up to expert scrutiny when it comes to substantiation is testimonials. So even if you have feedback from people who are using your product that say, gosh, I took it and I was, I was experiencing terrible coronavirus symptoms and I took your, you know, you name it, your vitamin, your herbal medication um, or, or what have you, and now I feel terrific, that testimonial is not enough to be claimed substantiation. And in fact, no testimonial is by itself enough to be claimed substantiation. Um, the rule is that an advertiser can't use a testimonial as a, a backdoor to make claims that they can't substantiate or haven't substantiated with competent and reliable scientific evidence. Um, so something to keep in mind as, you, as working on a substantiation plan or a marketing campaign. The second thing I want to cover is, is context, because I think it's really important as we move through and, and navigate how to advertise products um, that are, you know, previously were, were not hot selling items and, and now are, you know, all the rage. And I'm not just talking about elastic waisted pants, because we all know those have been popular for a long time. But things I am talking about are, for example, masks or cleaning certain kinds of cleaning products um, or just any kind of product that may be attractive for a kind of protection or safety or health sort of claim. So the context uh, for our advertising has changed quite a bit. And if you've been watching TV, you've seen this, right? Gone are the ads showing big crowds of people and um, you know, big events and stuff like this. And now we have ads that are, you know, much more emotionally themed kind of, we're all in this together and we'll get through this and we're here for each other kind of messaging. Right. Um, and it's important to keep this context in mind if you're looking to make a health claim because previously benign claims or benign, you know, triggers, even in, in your, your copy, can suddenly mean something different now that we're in a pandemic context. So just to kind of scale this out as far as risk, you know, anyone who looks and sees a, an express claim, a written statement that a particular product is going to prevent or treat coronavirus understands that's a claim that this is, you know, this product claims to be able to do this. Um, but something that is, is not nearly um, so obvious, but could arguably convey that same sentiment would be um, an immune system claim. You know, lots of dietary supplements out there feature, um, you know, that they have a certain vitamin to help support the immune system. The same is true of foods. 
you know, vitamin C to help support the immune system or, or really lots of different vitamins or probiotics and stuff like this. Um, you know, you want, we'll want to be thinking about do those otherwise, you know, previously very common and I dare say vanilla uh, kinds of claims now mean something different or other triggers in advertising or um, marketing copy, perhaps references to stressful times in these stressful times or in times of stress or, you know, something perhaps relating to a mask that may uh, make a statement about safety or protection or, you know, any moisture or anything like this where it could raise a question in the minds of the audience as to, well, safe from what? Or cleaning, what, cleaning up what? Kills what kind of bacteria? Does it kill the coronavirus? <laughs> That's the question that everybody's going to be asking. Um, and it's a question that we didn't previously have to ask as we were developing advertising substantiation or copy. And so the, the flag that I want you to take away from this podcast is really, this is one that we want to be looking for um, because undoubtedly the regulators are going to be looking for it too. Um, you know, right now, as you see in the warning letters, they're going after some pretty low hanging for obvious express claims of treatment and prevention. But it's foreseeable that whether it's a regulator, a formal regulator or a competitor or a consumer or a consumer group, um, if there's an ad that they think crosses the line, they could, you know, pose some kind of a challenge to it, um, whether that's a legal challenge or just a, a PR challenge that could be, you know, damaging either from a legal perspective or just from a consumer brand and trust perspective. So I hope that is helpful. Um, if you have other questions on this, advertising in general, certainly take a look at our blog, Ad Law Access. And we have a terrific uh, resource center uh, for advertising and privacy issues. Lots of wonderful free content on there. And as you navigate your way through uh, reopening and return to work throughout uh, the coronavirus here, take a look at our COVID-19 resource center at www.kellydry.com. That's K-E-L-L-E-Y-D-R-Y-E.com. And thanks for listening.